broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. What's up, everyone? It is C.W. Hall. Thanks for joining us here on the Midtown Business Radio show this morning. It is third Tuesday of the month, which means we have the Atlanta Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce with us in the studio today. We've got Emma Folks and Bruce Logue, our usual stand-in guest co-hosts with us here in the studio. Welcome, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks anything going on with regards to the AGLCC that we need to know about? Events coming up or anything going on? We have a great event coming up this Friday. It's our, our fourth Friday event. Uh, Evening networking from 5.30 to 7.30. It's going to be held uh, at Doug Roberts Ameriprise. Uh, it's an exciting event this month because it's one of our only events through the air that's held outside the perimeter, just barely. Uh, it's on Windy Ridge Parkway, which is near the intersection of Windy Hill Road and uh, Powers Ferry in, in Vinings. Awesome. Anything else going on on the, on the calendar? summer vacations if you've not done so already <laughs> make sure you've begun to get what you need to get aglc certified AG, L- A- aglbtbe lgbtb LGB- <laughs> not agl <laughs> lgbtbe i've been practicing i was supposed to quiz you this Dang morning it. lgbtbe certified so you, if you are a small business owner and your company is 51 percent um, LGBT owned, uh, the certification fee is waived if you're a member of the AGLCC, and that's about a $400 savings annually. We have a full show. Before we get to our guests real quickly, I have a couple of new partners with the Midtown Business Radio show uh, that I would like to introduce the business community to, working with a company called Sweatblock. I'm not getting held up here, but I'm not sweating under my arms here, you'll see. <laughs> Normally, by 1030 on show days, I would be quite stressed out actually by uh, by perspiration under my arms. And I was doing all kinds of research about what could I do about this. I found a company called Sweatblock and they make a product called Sweatblock that is extremely effective for the folks who are dealing with this. I mean, here in, here in the studio, kind of laughing, it's, it's a funny topic, but I can tell you if you're a business person, you're having to make presentations or sales calls, uh, things like that, and you're dealing with this, it is extremely stressful. I urge you to go and check it out. You can go to sweatblock.com slash CW, and they will send you a free sample of the product. And I can tell you, if you do what they say and use the product like they say, you will be amazed at the change it can make for you. So you have samples for all of us this morning? Yes. Go to the sweatblock.com slash CW. They've got one waiting. The other company that uh, is partnering with us is Orange Theory Fitness. Many of us here in the room, everybody's shaking their heads, are familiar with this company. I had the chance to meet the CEO. I interviewed him on the show as well as the Georgia uh, market development folks. They were the initial Atlanta uh, franchise owners for Orange Theory Fitness. I had a chance to go through their workout. It's fantastic. And it is one that you don't have to be an advanced athlete to be able to go through. You see CrossFit and some of those other uh, uh, philosophies that really kind of require somebody at a high level to be able to to get into those. Uh, the cool thing about Orange Theory Fitness and the reason why I'm mentioning them here is they do have corporate rates and they have corporate relationships available. And if your company would like to check it out for a cool company outing, get with Orange Theory Fitness. They'll let you bring your employees to a studio. They'll set up a special session just for you and your your employees. It'd be a fun time out. Check it out. Let your employees get a sense of that. And, and if you get linked up with them, then your employees become more healthy and your healthcare costs go down. So uh, check out Orange Theory Fitness as well. I want to say thanks to the folks over there for partnering, partnering with us here on the show. So 
Awesome. Get that out of the way. And uh, you have a couple of guests with you here in the studio today. Yes, we do. We have Lisa Kaufman from Senior Care Options, and we have Michelle Thompson from Thompson Legacy Law, and Hillary Thomas from AARP as well. Well, let's, let's, let's hear about them. Awesome. Well, I'd like to introduce uh, Lisa Kaufman. She's the CEO of Senior Care Options and also uh, an aging life care manager. Uh, so, Lisa, why don't you tell us a little bit about what is aging life care management? Aging life care management is a professional discipline, a service where an aging expert can help families find the care that they're looking for, make the decisions about the care that they're looking for. Sometimes they're not satisfied or they don't know what to do for their aging loved ones or adults with disabilities. And this is an expert who is certified, credentialed, qualified, and has insurance to properly help guide families to find the care that they need. Now, why would I need uh, professionals' involvement? There are a lot of reasons, and they can be highly individualized, but I'll give you a couple of, of quick things. People who have never provided care or had to make these decisions for their loved ones don't know what they're doing. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. This is a whole new landscape. And if you don't know how to play the game, you're going to get lost. And there's a lot of lost time and money. And the stakes are that this is your loved one's health. So if you're making mistakes, it could be very costly. And if you don't live close by, then you're spending a lot of money traveling to come care for your loved one and you you have a limited time when you need to be here. There's just a lot of things. And families don't always listen to their loved ones. If you're the daughter, you're the daughter. You could be a nurse. You could be a, an MD. You're a daughter. So they're not going to listen to you. They need to hear it from someone else. Lisa, can you mention some of the typical ways that people kind of, what you mentioned, some mistakes people make, what, what are they, where do they get off the track? It could be anywhere, but I find we get called in a lot for crisis work. People are, are in the hospital. Something has happened. There's a, been a change in, in health care, their situation, and everyone is relieved at some point to know that everything is managed at the hospital, but you don't get to stay there very long. Then suddenly you have 24 hours to get out, and then the panic starts again, and people don't know what to do. It happens again in the nursing facilities everybody's great while rehab is happening. And then all of a sudden, day 20, 19 comes up. They have to go. They have to go to the next level, the next placement, whatever it may be. And then the family's suddenly at a loss of what to do. But sometimes they think they know what they're doing and they really don't. So what, what would you say is the difference or how is this different from a placement service? I've been, you know, I watch TV late at night mm -hmm. uh, on the weekends and it seems like elder care services is a growing market. And I see a lot of ad advertisements for what do I do with my uh, mother, you know, um, but how do I, like, how is this different from a placement service? It is different that these are medical professionals who can help guide you. The placement services are generally run by franchises. They do train their staff, but they are not master's level anything. So my staff has master's levels, nurses, social workers, licensed professionals. I've got a podiatrist. We have real medical professionals who can help people make these decisions because it's this is tough stuff. But if your loved one is relatively healthy, there are not a lot of major concerns, a placement service is fine to okay. use. And they are very knowledgeable about what properties and communities are available and the pricing structure, et cetera, who's would be a better fit for your loved one. But if there's a complicated situation, these folks don't do a thorough analysis of what's going on. 
I wouldn't depend on that if there's something complex, family dynamics, medical complexity, okay. that kind of thing. So, you know, many, most of us, I would say, everybody in this room had to endure the talk with our parents when we were teenagers, right? You know, they sat us down, they talked to us about the birds and the bees. But at what point do you suggest people, you know, people our age, you know, in your 40s, I hope everybody in the room is in their 40s, people in their 40s and 50s, at what age do you suggest we have the talk with our parents or aging, you know, loved ones that we have that are aging about their senior care options? You know, how do we, how do we tie that all in? You know, that's kind of a, a conversation. A lot of older people, you know, when it comes to, they're very independent. How do we how do we how do we broach that subject? That's a it's a great question. It's a tough subject to broach. Um, we always look at safety versus independence. If there's a safety issue, my feeling is because there's not a specific age where I would say, oh, at 57, you need to have this conversation. It doesn't work like that. I feel that if in your heart and in your gut you are worried about your family member for some reason, then you better have that conversation. You can do baby steps. If there's one particular aspect you want to talk about, finances, medicine, driving. Hello, that's one of the first ones. Pick one. Don't do everything. Don't ambush them. They're going to feel paranoid and ganged up on. You're not going to, they're not going to hear you. And start gently and slowly. Sometimes it's helpful to turn it around that it's about you. I'm worried. It's not about their deficit. It's about, I want to make sure I can help you. And I'm concerned I'm losing sleep at night. Okay. Let's have a talk about this and just open it up. Keep it safe. But if you're having a hard time doing that, that's a good time to bring in an expert to guide the conversation. What what other types of uh, scenarios could you share with us that would be a good point for us to bring in and your your assistance to help with our loved ones? Um, There really are. There are so many. Everybody is very (laughs) different. Um, Most of our folks have cognitive deficits. So if people come to the realization that there's cognitive impairment, a dementia of some kind, that's a whole other topic. um, That is a great time to bring in an aging life care manager or some expert in the field who can really explain what this looks like, what it means, where you're going, how to find the appropriate care the physicians, God love them, only have seven minutes that Medicare will pay for, whatever, you know, seven to 15 minutes to treat you when you go. They don't have time to explain all this. And a lot of them are not geriatricians. They're primary care or internal med, which is delightful, but they don't specialize in aging care. So they just diagnose dementia, which is a cluster of symptoms. It is not really the disease itself. So that's misleading to a lot of families that their loved one now has, I'm doing air quotes, the dementia. Right. <laughs> you know, I want people to be empowered with more information, not so much that they don't know what to do. Again, we want them to make decisions, but they need to have info to steer them. What kind of certification or credentials do your, uh, your folks have uh, so that when we pull you in, you can, you know, dig down deeper and get into, you know, some more information when they do have the dementia appearing? Okay. Well, thank you for asking that. Um, My team, um, we're all aging life care managers and we belong to the the Association of Aging Life Care Managers. Um, It's actually Aging Life Care Manager Association, ALCA. And they have their own credentialing process. They have four different credentials that they will accept. They do all of the screening. They, they look at people's transcripts. You have to have letters of recommendation. Um, 
they want to make sure that you have the education you said you had and that you have the work experience. They ha- you have to track field experience in case management and care management before you can sit for the exam. And it's a three-and-a-half-hour exam. It's nationally held twice a year. This is It's real stuff. A lot of my clients are in are what I consider the sandwich generation. They're they're raising kids. They have children that are in college, um, and now they're in a position where they're having to start thinking about um, caring for their parents. What is the cost to bring in um, someone like you or someone like your company to help to to begin to facilitate you know uh, the care and 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 senior planning for people? You know, and, and sandwich generation is just such a tough place to be. It's really a rock and a hard place. And we find, we were mentioning before we started, that um, in the industry, we're finding that people are spending more time caring for their parents than they did spend raising their children. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of time that goes into this, and you want to make sure that they have the money that they need to provide for the services. Um, To get to the, the question of how much does an aging life care manager cost, I can give you a range for the Atlanta area. It's, um, yeah, about 100 to $150 an hour. Um, the assessments vary. Our, our evaluation process is a 10-hour process. Some people do it for less and they may have a flat fee, but other people do it hourly. Most care managers charge hourly, but it is not like having a caregiver service where you need them there every day for six hours. Or, you know, After the care manager does the care plan for you and gives you the written roadmap, as I try to refer to it, that's when you can decide how much or how little of the care management service you want to use. My minimum is two hours a month. Awesome. Now, does Medicare cover? Unfortunately, it does not. Medicare um, is not able to cover that at this time. Long-term care insurance may, depending on the policy, which everything changes. There's always a new model of long-term care insurance, depending on, you know, what provisions you have put in there. So I would talk to your, your agent, whoever helped you get the policy, can help you look at the policy and see what... What provisions are in there for that? So the long-term uh, insurance is Would really be. what you should have in place. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, is there anything that you can't handle? Does that come up? I have a pretty um, high tolerance for pain. <laughs> so I tend to not turn people away. We've dealt with some really difficult and unique situations. We've had folks that had uh, Creutzfeldt-Jakob disorder, which is sort of like mad cow disease for people. We've had um, Munchausen's by proxy, which is really unusual. We do some pediatric cases, but and I know a case manager in town, a care manager who does specialize in pediatrics. We've handled people with schizophrenia, lots of different mental illnesses. We're seeing a lot of Asperger's disorder. I tend to want to help people so much that I will figure out a way to make it happen, but there are the rare occasions that something is really not appropriate for us and we can't work with them. And if it's not our service that they really need, I will direct them to what is more appropriate. I'm not going to just charge them for something they don't need. Well, thank you, Lisa. Appreciate it. Thanks. That was a lot of great information. Um, Next up, I want to introduce Michelle Thompson from Thompson Legacy Law. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Cool. Listen, I'm pretty I'm pretty familiar. Uh, many of us are pretty familiar with estate planning, you know, wills, powers of attorney, health care directives and trusts. But what exactly is elder care? Well, elder law is something that really encompasses 
a number of facets for seniors and also for people who are in special needs if they've had any sort of disability. Um, my practice does do some special needs planning, but it does focus on helping retirees and seniors protect assets in, in the case of a long-term care need or in some cases if there's a crisis, if there's some sort of health crisis that's cr- cropped up a way to help them pay for and protect assets in that scenario as well. So how does estate planning and elder law fit together? So estate planning is really the transfer of assets at death. Um, Estate planning, a part of what I offer my services to my clients, also includes planning for their incapacity. But elder law is really a way to protect assets if there is a need for to apply for any sort of federal benefit Um, if they don't have long-term care insurance. Also, it's really to help my clients take care of themselves while they're alive. You know, so many of my clients, when they come in for estate planning, no matter their age, um, they're really focused on making sure that their loved ones are cared for at their death. But what I like to remind them is that we need to focus on making sure that they're okay while they're here. So you're going to look into uh, the assets that people have, the transferring of assets before I believe the government has a time period and we don't have to dig into it, but the government has a time a period where they look back before they determine whether or not they're going to give benefits. So you're really looking at this kind of planning for uh, the end of life. Uh, how far out should people be thinking about this? And I hate to say what age, you know, we <laughs> talked about what age, not at 57, right. but is there a certain age where you know, okay, dad, you're 80 years old now, you know, you could live another five, you could live another 20 years. Now we need to start thinking about this. Right. You know, so there really are two facets to elder law and it's pre-planning or proactive planning for folks that, you know, have assets that they know that they would like to protect and we can do certain strategies. And in that case, when we do proactive planning, we can really do some effective strategies to make sure that the bulk of everything that they've worked their whole lives to obtain, they can keep. But we also have, you know, a facet of our practice that addresses the crisis planning. And, you know, in that case, when there's been no proactive action taken, we still can protect some assets. But if we need to apply for any sort of federal benefit, the look back period will affect any sort of transfers or gifts or anything like that. So we have, it's your, your, your strategies are limited as far as what you can do from a crisis standpoint. So obviously I recommend that folks consider a pre-plan rather than waiting until they have to make decisions that aren't that easy. Now, when do you know that it's at the time to contact uh, an elder care, uh, I'm sorry, an elder law attorney uh, to get involved? So there's a, a couple scenarios. I mean, it's obviously just the Aging is one facet of it, but um, a lot of times if someone were to receive some sort of um, diagnosis, like Lisa mentioned, you know, if there, a lot of times people can see that they're going to have cognitive issues coming down, you know, based on a, a doctor's diagnosis. And so as long as the client has a capacity to do the planning, we can do basically anything, but there is a facet to my practice. And, you know, I really have to make sure that those folks that I'm working with have the capacity to make the decisions and implement the plans. Otherwise, you know, we have to petition the court to make sure that a guardian can be appointed to make those decisions for them. Would you recommend that people look into doing elder law planning 
around the time that they retire while they still have all of their cognitive functions? I think that's a great time because that's sort of, and again, Lisa said there's not really an age, and, and I agree completely, but that is also an age where people can focus on and still obtain long-term care benefits and obtain the insurance, whereas when you're, you get to be more senior, it's almost not an option anymore. And then we really have to go into the strategies to protect assets in for us to apply for any sort of federal benefit. So for a person that's, you know, say in their 40s or 50s, we're we don't we typically shouldn't have to worry about that right now. But we should have our estate plan in place, make sure we have our ducks in a row from that standpoint, just in case we become incapacitated. But the elder care or elder law planning, we can wait a little bit. You can. And also part of the planning that I do with even just my estate planning clients is to make sure that their financial power of attorney has language in it that will ensure that who they've appointed as their agent can do certain acts to make sure that they're obtained, they can obtain the benefits uh, and the care that they need for their principal. What are some important things for folks to consider as they grow older to put in place? Well, I mean, I think that the biggest focus is to make sure that you have an estate plan, that you have a will, otherwise the state's going to dictate where your assets go, that you have an advanced health care directive or living will so that you can make the decisions for how you want your care to be implemented at end of life rather than leaving that up to your family members. And it's also really important to have a financial power of attorney because otherwise there's no one to conduct your financial affairs and you've got to petition the court. And under some circumstances, it's just a critical situation and we don't have time to wait for a court, you know, a court outcome. Now, are there any special considerations for those in the LGBT community? I think it's very, very important that folks who are aging in the LGBT community have to consider a lot of times they don't have children, they don't have family members that will support them. And so there's there's nuances there that they have to make sure that they have planned to protect their resources or position themselves to be able to obtain benefits so that they can obtain the care that they need because a lot of folks don't have the family members to fall back on. And so that sets up a whole host of issues that we have to address up front. You know, one of the things that I've, I've been talking to a lot of clients with, you know, it's graduation time. A lot of people's children or adult children now because they've turned 18 are now going off to college. And one of the things that people uh, associate estate planning with is wealth. And one of those key pieces of, of the estate plan that I think people need to, to look into, and it doesn't cost a lot, um, is, you know, advanced directives or healthcare directives for um, your newly adulted <laughs> uh, child. Because if they, if they turn 18 and they get into a car accident, will the doctor tell their parents anything if the, the parents show up at the hospital? Well, so there's a natural, you know, healthcare agent to some degree, but it's always best to name one, even if it's your spouse. It's not, you know, the the medical community and with HIPAA and things like that, they're very, very, very protective to make sure that they aren't um, interacting with and divulging privileged information. And so I think it's important for anyone who's not a minor, because your parents can make decisions for you when you're a minor and you don't have any input in it. But as an adult, it's really important to that they can empower who that they trust that would implement what their wishes are in the need, you know, for a long-term care scenario. So happy graduation, sign right. these forms. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> that fun, right? Right. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, uh, thank you very much, Michelle. That was very, very uh, uh, 
great information that you shared with us. Thanks, uh, Bruce. We'd like to uh, now uh, introduce uh, Hillary Thomas uh, with the uh, AARP Georgia. Hillary is a program specialist. So, um, Hillary, tell us a little bit about uh, what AARP Georgia provides for the community. We provide several different benefits for the community. It really just depends on what type of benefit people are looking for. A lot of times we get pigeonholed into that word senior that we don't use. We make sure that we're advocating for people that are 50 plus, but all of our benefits and offerings are open to the public. So we do a lot of caregiving workshops, a lot of care conversations and forums. We do fraud watch programs. We have a whole fraud watch network to help prevent people from getting into fraudulent situations. We have financial security benefits as well as financial security programs and workshops that people can attend. And we have a lot of fun activities that people can attend as well. So it's not age specific. And even those more popular benefits that people think of, all of those discounts and things, you can be any age and access those benefits. I was speaking to a friend last week who is 45 and she mentioned that she had an AARP discount card. And I thought to myself, did I miscalculate her age? And I said, what are you doing with an AARP card? And she says, well, my father has one. And whoever he spoke to at AARP told him that there was no age limit. So she went ahead and got one, too, to receive discounts, I think, for her auto insurance and safety drivers or something like that. Since we here in Georgia do nonprofit programs, as all the state offices do, we all have the same types of nonprofit program offerings. We can't specifically talk about the benefits. It gets into our tax status. But yes, there are benefits that you can find online. They are good benefits. And I'm 36 and I use my card all the time. That's wow. great. Wow. Bruce, it's time. <laughs> oh, it's past my time. But uh, anyhow, so, so how many AARP members do you have here in Georgia? In Georgia, we have 1.1 million. Nationwide, we're about 35 million, I believe. But in Georgia, we're at 1.1. And, and what, what, let's talk about some of the work your organization is providing to the LGBT community. Well, my specific job is to do outreach to the LGBT community. I started off working a lot with SAGE, the services and advocacy group for gay and lesbian elders. So with them, we do a lot more fun type of activities. They're a different kind of group. And we started doing outreach with them, working with them, seeing what the community in Atlanta is looking for and somewhat as Georgia as a whole and what you need and what are the benefits. And what kept coming up time and time again was caregiving. We need help with caregiving. We need help with caregiving. What do we do? And the programs that we offer, we don't offer, per se, referral services. There is a a link online at AARP.org that will refer you to some people. But what we offer are programs just to help caregivers figure out what to do, not specifically where to take your loved one, but how do you give care to someone? As a young caregiver, I've been in that situation. You don't know what to do. It's hard mentally. It's hard physically. You don't know where to start the plan. When you start asking what age do you start doing things, we encourage people to do it early. We have a whole series of books that you can access, having that talk with your adult children to just help parents be able to sit down and talk to their kids and say, okay, this is what I want to have happen. We have a really good book that I've been using a lot with my workshops called Care, Giving Care to People and Working. So it's a sandwich generation book. It's juggling work, life, and caregiving. So how do you do this? I've got a kid. I've got a job. I need to do all of these things, but I also need to give care to my aging parent or maybe even an aging loved one that's not a parent. But how do you blend all those things and 
juggle all those balls. So we do a lot of those types of resources and workshops. Yeah, no, it's pretty stressful. I've got a few, quite a few clients. That's why this 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 radio show today was so timely. But I, I've got people who are in the community. They don't have kids, but and they're seeing uh, what do you call it? Only children. So they are the sole care provider um, and resource for their parents, and it is draining. Now, I, I know that you are a um, caregiving workshop facilitator. Right? I am. And what is what is that? What do you do at the workshops? When do you have them? What does that look like? We set up the workshops periodically. Really, we look for people to say there's a need. So hopefully there's a group of people that says we want you to have a workshop. And we set it up at that time, wherever people would like to have it, whatever location. But we consider our workshops to be a framework. So we start off asking people if they've had the conversation with their loved one to start a care plan. We want everyone to have some type of plan for caregiving. Who's going to give the care? How is the care going to be given? Where is the care going to be given? We encourage people to have the meetings with the group that's going to be helping them. So set up your care team. And people always say, well, it sounds like a business. Well, it does need to be organized if you're going to make a success of this caregiving effort. So find people, find friends, find family members, church members, people that you've worked with, whomever else. As someone that has been giving care to people, we always let people know there's someone that usually has asked you, what can I do to help? And it's up to us to reach out to those people and say, okay, I do need some help. This is what I need. I need you to come and sit with my mom for an hour so I can go to the grocery store. Or I need you to pick up some prescriptions from the drugstore for my mother. Here's the money or whatever else. They're people that have asked to help. So let them be a part of your caregiving team. Sit them down and have a meeting and invite the care recipient to be a part of the meeting. Sometimes there are situations where the care recipient is a child. Even if they're a child, invite them. But especially if they're an adult, invite that person. They may or may not be incapacitated at that time, but that validates them and helps them to understand that they are still a valued member and that they do have some input. A lot of times when people deal with care recipients, they treat them as children and they tell them what to do instead of asking them what they would like to have done. So if you have those types of meetings and have those roundtable discussions and bring everybody to the table, we can make a good plan to say, okay, this is what's going to happen. Maybe we want mom or dad to age in a facility. Perfectly fine, but we need to have a plan for how that's going to happen. Maybe mom and dad are going to age in place in their home, which we all think is a great thing to have happen. But there still needs to be a plan for that. They may or may not be able to be there long term by themselves. We may or may not be able to afford to have a caregiver, paid caregiver come in. It might be a full-time family caregiver. So how are we going to make this happen? So we encourage people to come in, to sit down, and to make that plan out. And we have free workbooks for people where they can work through all of that. And even like we were talking earlier about when to start things, we ask people to fill out the worksheets before they start to lose their cognitive abilities, just so you know you know, maybe they haven't taken the time to have a financial planner or they might not have an attorney. But if there's information in one place where you can write it down and just write out, okay, where are your bank accounts? Where is your mortgage? Do you have a mortgage? Do you pay rent? What bills do you pay? What prescriptions do you have? What doctors do you have? I was so fortunate that I worked for AARP when I went through my caregiving situation because I was actually able to sit down and do that. A lot of younger people have no idea how to even start that process or where to get the information. I was fortunate enough to be able to do it. But even though my father was an elder care attorney, he didn't have any of his stuff in one place because he took care of everything. He didn't want anybody doing his stuff. So I literally had to go through piles of mail and figure out this is his mortgage company. This is where he pays his car note. This is where he gets money from. 
this is you know where this is and i had to write all that information out but if you have it in one organized place ahead of time it's really helpful for your loved ones now now life sometimes hits you uh in ways unexpected uh do you have resources uh for those you know emergency situations that uh pop up uh we actually have some really good caregiving resources online. If you go to aarp.org backslash caregiving, there's a hotline number. You can go to the hotline number and they can send you to different resources. There are resources, like I said, you know, for tax purposes, I can't specifically say call this specific company, but they can send you to specific resources at that moment to figure out what you need. So maybe something happened and you do need some of those workbooks. You do need just to figure out some basic information right now. We send it out to you. Anytime people call the office and say, you know, I haven't been able to get to a workshop. I don't know where a workshop is, or I might be in a little small town and not have access to the workshop. So we send them out the information and we try and talk them through it as well and get them through some of those online resources so that they're able to get some of that practical knowledge that they need at that moment, as opposed to having to wait for a workshop. So how would you say caregiving is relevant to the LGBT community? I will say with any community of people, we all age, we all have loved ones. Now, whether that loved one is a blood relative or whether that loved one is just someone that we know, we all have people that we are going to be giving care to at some point in time. Rosalind Carter has the best quote, as a caregiver, you're either going to give care, you're going to need care, you have given care to someone or you are in the process of getting that care. And that's where we all fit in. It doesn't matter what community of people we're in. And in the community that I've been working with specifically, I've worked with a lot of younger caregivers in the LGBT community who just don't know where to go. They, Like you were saying, they're only children. They need to take care of their parents. And in some of the situations, one person I've been working with in the past few weeks, he had to pick up and move to a non-LGBT friendly area of the country without his friends, without his community. Fortunately, his job was to where he could kind of work from home, but he is isolated with this aging loved one and he doesn't know what to do. We were out at a social occasion and he just broke down crying because he had no resources and he didn't realize that that's what I did. So I actually went back to the office, got some books for him, gave him some information, kind of gave him a quick rundown of what to do. But I see that more and more. And you also see people that are realizing that they're taking care of other people in the community. One of the people with SAGE that we work with has been very ill, and his care team is very wide in age. So we have very, very young people that have become his friends, and then more senior people that are all a part of his care team. If that's taking him to the grocery store, if that's picking up his prescriptions, and I've also seen their health team meetings where they're actually trying to organize what's happening to him as far as his health and his management of his health. So you're suggesting we be nice to millennials? Yes. Okay, we will need them. <laughs> we, we are good people. We can be helpful. Be nice to millennials because they may have to pick up the soup for you. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I know you're, you, you're always doing something. I, I see AARP uh, in events going on all over the place. What, what, what events are coming up? I actually have a movie screening coming up on next Wednesday, June the 29th. It's going to be at the Midtown Art Cinema. I am showing Edie and Thea a very long engagement. I'm really excited about it. Um, we've had some really great interest in the film. I know people don't like to RSVP in advance. AARP is big on RSVPing, so we're encouraging people to RSVP. And it's on our state webpage, aarp.org backslash GA. 
and you can look there and you'll be able to access the registration information. And you can always email me, hthomas at aarp.org. But I think it'll be great. Be a nice little showing. We've had some good interest. Sage was really big into helping that one. And we actually partnered with Out on Film to push that one out. In the past, we've done our own screenings, but I figured Out on Film does this professionally. So it's better to work with an organization that does film screenings professionally. So um, what type of volunteer opportunities um, uh, that are, what, what type of volunteer opportunities does, does AAR, AARP have uh, for us? Well, those workshops that we were telling, when I was telling you about, those are mostly volunteer led. I do lead several and so do the other staff, but we only have 10 staff people for the state of Georgia. For the other opportunities that you hear about, the other workshops that you hear about, the other programs where you see us, those are usually volunteers. We have some volunteers that come into the office every single day just to do general office administrative tasks. So it can be as small as doing administrative tasks, or you might be heading up your own workshop. You might be leading an event. You might be the people that are at the health fairs, or you might be people that are just out canvassing the community talking about some of our advocacy efforts. It really depends. It's a a broad range of volunteer opportunities that we have here. And for LGBT couples um, here in Atlanta, do you recommend that you know, if they're if they don't have children, that they do get involved with AARP to learn how to provide care for each other as they age. Is there like a workshop or is there something set up for that? Yes, there is. We have specific workshops and I do lead those just to help people figure out what to do with each other. It's it's very tricky to give care to people. And it is something that you have to be patient with and learn how to do. Like I said, a lot of times, even if it is your spouse or your partner, just your loved one, the person who is giving care a lot of times decides that that person needs to be talked to like a child. So in the workshops, we work with people and make sure that they understand how you relate to people is very important. And you don't want the other person to feel that they're being demeaned. They're still an adult and they still need to be respected as an adult. So yes, I do recommend that. Um, And you can reach out to us for the workshops and we set them up on command. If there was a group of 10 people that said, hey, you want a workshop tomorrow, I could probably make it happen. Oh, wow. Oh, that's, that's pretty fast. Absolutely. So we'll have to see if we've got some interest. Hopefully <laughs> people will say, you know, one of the things about the, the AGLCC, um, we do have a group call out, which is our millennials. But the majority of us are in our 40s and above. And it is time, although we still look very good. <laughs> we still look very good. And we are in age denial. You know, that's something not just with our group, but also with a lot of the baby boomers are in age denial. They don't want to address these issues because then it's looking at smack dab in the face. And one of the things that I hope uh, that comes out of this is that people do reach out and ask, how do I start preparing for uh, elder care, elder law? How do I start preparing for this? How do I prepare myself to take care of whether it's my parents um, or my loved one? And who do I turn to? You know, so I hope that, you know, a lot comes out of out of this radio show today. Absolutely. Hillary, how do I get involved? How can I volunteer to help? You email me directly. (laughs) <laughs> so email me at hthomas at aarp.org and I will find a place for you. We are actively searching for our biggest volunteer push this year, which will be for Gray Pride. This is the second year in a row that we're the name sponsor for Gray Pride. It happens during Atlanta Pride. Last year we had, I think it was called the Dockside Building. We had the full building. We had interviews going on on the inside to collect people's stories. And those went to Sage Story and they're actually up on their website. We had an active timeline where people could write down their own historical events as far as 
events that were important to the Atlanta LGBT community and the LGBT community as a whole. And we also hosted the Atlanta Pride timeline in that same space. We had giveaways out front. I think we gave away two or three Apple Watches. We gave people a lot of information on AARP. We had some care conversations going on on the inside. We had a lot going on with Great Pride. Great Pride was a fun area this year. That's good to know. Now, how how can we connect you? Uh, how can we connect with you uh, on social media? Social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter. So if you go to Facebook and look up AARP Georgia, that is where we are, as well as our Twitter. We are, I believe it is AARP Georgia for Twitter as well. Um, I My Twitter is a little bit more inactive. So tag AARP Georgia, look for AARP Georgia, but specifically go to our Facebook page. There's a lot of good information out there on our Facebook page. Yeah, we have your Twitter as AARPGA. So if we look that up, we'll be able to at you or tweet you. Yes, you will. (laughs) We'll get at you. We'll get at you. (laughs) So Emma, talk about the, the, the firm that you're part of with folks and, and steel, you have a workshop coming up. I know you do some financial planning and this has been a great discussion. Um, this kind of conversation is much, much better as it was pointed out earlier in the show before a crisis hits. Uh, it's easy to kind of put it back and put it back and put it back. But the conversations you'll have with the experts that you guys featured on today's episode will flow much better. You'll have probably saved some costs down the road. And and I've gone through probate situation myself. My father didn't have a will. There was land involved. It was it was not as pretty as it could have been. Uh, so I would urge our listeners who check it out today's show to get with one of these folks and get some questions answered. But you have a workshop coming up for your for your firm. Yes, we have a workshop coming up on July 20th at 630 in the evening at our office in Buckhead. Um, and the workshop is financial planning in the shadow of dementia. And the reason why we're doing it is, again, we're, we're dealing with a lot of clients now who are at that point where they're helping their parents and the financial drain or strain um, that that's happening to their resources, their children's education in some places, in some circumstances is being put in jeopardy. Their own retirement is being put in jeopardy because of the care that they have to provide for their parents, which if they don't do the elder law in time and they don't prepare in time, uh, the resources end up getting taken away as well as as their kids. So it's very important to start thinking about the things you have to do for your parents or loved ones before that time happens. So that's what we're going to be looking at. And we will have AARP there as well as senior care options will be there as well. Michelle, you'll, you'll be there as well. I will. So um, that, that's what we have happening. And they sign up for... They can sign up for it... Um, uh, you can go to our Facebook page, Folk Steel. Uh, you can RSVP there as well as on our website, uh, which is fswealthmanagement.com. And, and just folks go to is F-O-U-L-K-E-S. That's right. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> that one I quizzed you on earlier. That's though. right. <laughs> so make sure you get signed up for that. You'll get some great information. You'll get to chat with these experts that we've had here in the studio today and talk straight to them, ask questions that maybe we didn't cover while we were going over things earlier in the program. And as we were saying earlier, if you've not done so already, make sure you sign up and become uh, a member of the AGLCC and get in process for getting certified as an LGBTBE. Wow, impressive. Yeah. And how much does it save? Well, it saves hundreds <laughs> because your membership pays for the certification. It's That's like a $400 right. certification, if I'm there not mistaken. There we go. There See we there? go. And Bruce, you've got some news. Well, I, 
I, I am certified as a, a senior real estate specialist. Uh, so, you know, what I provide to my clients that are uh, at the point where they're having to transition, whether they're downsizing, uh, moving into uh, 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 a uh, active adult community or assisted living facility, uh, I have the resources that you know can help them. Uh, whether that be different resources to provide uh, the actual living environment or to help. One of the biggest things that uh, almost make my clients, uh, cause them the greatest amount of fear is when they are are downsizing, having to move into these uh, smaller places. Uh, They've accumulated a life's worth of belongings and they go into a panic to try to figure out how are they going to get rid of all this stuff? What are they going to do? Um, And it's just important for people to realize that they're not the first people that are in these circumstances. And there are lots of uh, uh, resources available to help them. And so if you are one of those folks, either have a family member or you are the person that is in question and you're kind of getting into that time where you might need to downsize or change where you're living, get with uh, Bruce at Corbell Group. They're part of Keller Williams. Uh, and obviously having some someone that you're dealing with that has some level of understanding of the issues that these folks are dealing with is not just being somebody who's willing to, to help you, but, but having some expertise on the different facets that you're going to be facing as you go through that process is certainly very helpful. Yeah. The, the, you know, it- you need to be compassionate and you need to, to understand and you need to have had the experience of working with these people before. So uh, that uh, when you're uh, asked these questions and, and these tough decisions have to be made, it's not the first time that uh, you have somebody guiding you through that. Where do they go to get linked up with you? www.corbellgroup.com. And that's C-O-R-B-E-L-L? Uh, just, just one L. Just one L. One L. See, I've got, it's a, it's a process. <laughs> it's, it's a process. It's a process. <laughs> Go to the Corbell Group and get linked up with Bruce and his team over there, and they will help you through that transition, or they'll help you find a great residential area to buy your new home or your uh, your new pre-owned home for you to live in with your family. Absolutely. So any final thoughts from folks before we get you back to your offices? The hour goes by quickly. It does. It does. I just want to thank all of our guests today. This was a great show and just really, really good information. Thanks for having us. Thank, thank you. you pleasure. If you've not done so already, go to the upper left-hand corner of the show page. That'll take you over to the uh, Apple logo there. That's going to the Midtown Business Radio Show podcast on iTunes, and you can subscribe to us. That way, each week when the new episode comes out, it'll be downloaded straight to your device for you to listen to when it's convenient for you. And given the importance of the topics of today, we hope you turn around and share this information with your social media networks. You might just put some information in the hands of somebody that you care about that makes a big difference for them in their life. So we'll say thank you in advance for that. Everybody that made the trip over here to the studio, thanks so much for making time. And Emma and Bruce, enjoy it as always. Enjoyed it very much ourselves. Definitely. Well, we look forward to having you guys back in a few weeks here in the studio and uh, checking out some of those cool guests that you bring by. Well, thank you. We'll see you in a month. Everybody out there who made us a part of your day today, I want to say thanks so much. We'll see y'all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. <laughs>